episode number 445. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the Evergreen Network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. This week's interview is with Antoine Abou-Samra. Antoine's a seasoned founder, entrepreneur, and a C-level executive who's been CEO of two businesses. Today, based in Beirut, being passionate about food and wine, Antoine is now founder and producer of A Table for Two and creator and host of the Wine Hour podcast. In this conversation with Antoine, we discuss his path, having traversed so many experiences, lived and traveled in so many places. We look at the lessons learned while being CEO. He shares his perspective being based in Beirut these difficult days. We also explore his wonderful personal mission that drives his two ongoing projects, building bridges around the world through cuisine and a good bottle of wine. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Please consider to drop in your rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with Antoine. Antoine Abou Samra. Quel plaisir, what a pleasure to have you on the show. You and I have shared many things in our backgrounds, we love languages, we love our wine, we love journeys, and we shared a business school. In your own words, Antoine, how would you like to describe yourself? Uh, that First of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I don't know what I signed up for exactly. <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm expecting anything. So that's, good. That, that's, that's, that's the beauty of, live, of the live shows anyway. Yes. Uh, describing myself, oh... Damn, that's going to be a, yeah, how much time do you have? I got enough time. I'm listening. <laughs> so so just, let, let's, let's make it simple. Um, someone that is curious, someone that wants to discover, and someone that is actually looking at what makes us who we are, human. And food and wine is such a big part of it that it's a, it's a quest that I've put to myself. I'm in, with in you. In a few words. Love it. <laughs> Well, you have a rich background, and um, I wanted you to start by talking a little bit about the path of Antoine Abou Samra. How, how, what path has led you to where you are? How would you like to describe, because you've done so many things between event management, working in F&B, entertainment, sports, and so on. So describe your, your background, how you got to where you are. The, I, I got here because of many failures <laughs> people <laughs> say that in entrepreneurship uh, failing is a good thing um, actually it's <laughs> actually it's 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 not just about failures it's about trying paths that you think are right that you think you do enjoy and then you realize at the end that they are not the right ones um, I'm gonna go back to that more specifically afterwards but it, it started with passion at the beginning. The first thing that I worked on were, was in sports. Um, and I used to be an athlete. Uh, that was a long time ago. And in, in snowboarding and in, in windsurfing, wow. uh, which I took on um, late 70s, early 80s for, for snowboarding. And the, the, the idea at the time uh, was to come back to Lebanon, the, the place of my 
ancestors, part of them, uh, uh, after the Civil War and use sports as a medium to, to actually uh, promote uh, a new lifestyle and at the same time to promote the country coming out of uh, 15 years of civil war uh, to, to the world so that they have a different image of the place. Now, what is interesting with that early path is that it was about uh, people. It was about you know, that connection that you can do with others. And then funnily enough, if there's one thread that is going across all the things that I've done, this one is that connection part, I think is, is the, the most interesting one. Um, a couple of anecdotes. Uh, I, I, I grew up in France. We, we left Lebanon in 75 uh, at the beginning of the Civil War. So I grew up in France and, and did all my schooling there. Then I went to Canada to study at McGill, uh, my undergrad. And I was the funny thing is I was selling Lebanese food that I was cooking. So, uh, not big cuisine, but the funny thing is that people connect to food very quickly because it's either a way to reminisce, you know, home and, and your home cooking, or it is about discovering a new culture through the food. And the friends that I made at that time were still my friends today uh, because of that early connection. So connecting through food was very important. Second anecdote is that um, growing up in a family where my father was a journalist, I, I also had that inkling to, to, to journalism, uh, though uh, I would not really go in, into, that, you know, into that profession because it's a very difficult one. But coming back to Lebanon, uh, I used to have a, a radio show, a daily jazz show. And through music, you connect with people as well. So there are you know, these different kinds of, of activities, sport, music, you know, food that basically help that connection. Uh, it's not something that you do just for your own sake, but it's something that you want to share with others. So going back to the work of, of sports development and sport promotion, there was a lot of you know, media work, a lot of events uh, to be developed uh, for the you know, large public. We've done some events where we had like 120,000 visitors and stuff like that, uh, which were quite advanced, innovative at the time in, in the 90s. And then end of the 90s was, you know, working in action sports in a small country as Lebanon, I thought that was you know, the, the, the path for expansion were not so, so great. So let's look at the wider world. And uh, in the meantime, I, I, I did a health food catering business here, food again, and must be something about this. And, and, and then I, I decided to move on and uh, applied to INSEAD, uh, the, the famous business school. Um, was it a good idea? I don't know. <laughs> so I got accepted uh, and went to the Singapore campus and then to Fontainebleau. And, Did you enjoy uh, and INSEAD? INSEAD was, was an interesting experience because the people that were there were really uh, such a mixed bag uh, from the pure consultant uh, guys and investment bankers to the guys that are on the fringes. Uh, and, and somehow I was on the fringes uh, coming from that sports background, uh, being one of the oldest ones when I did it quite late. I was 33 when I, when I did my, my, my MBA. And usually people are like 27, 28, sometimes a bit younger than that. Um, so it was, 
professors were, there were some professors that were fantastic. Uh, some of the courses were really, really interesting. And, and I think the, the professors made a big difference in that. It's not really what you learn because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, things in business school is, is kind of, you know, uh, you can pick it up in a book. But I think it's more about the people. It's more about the network afterwards. And it's about opening your mind for a year that basically a time and space that allows you to think, okay, what you want to do afterwards. And that set me up on, on a different path afterwards. Uh, because I was, I, th I think that success would have been around, you know, achieving positions and, you know, managing companies and leading titles. and titles and, and stuff like that. So I went on to that, on into that, to that path, basically. Because you became CEO of a couple of companies. Yeah, I, I became CEO of a couple of companies. Uh, one was in, in Spain. It was in high-end decorative accessories. I had no clue about the industry, but it was, it was a real challenge. So when there, and I had this connection with Spain anyway for, for a very long time. I used to go there very often. I almost kind of grew up there. There's not uh, much snowboarding. It's not much. Snowboarding. No, there's not much. But it's windsurfing, yes, there is. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but uh, food is great. Uh, wine is great. That's true. Uh, and and it, it was it was a it was an it was an interesting experience. Um, I picked up on my Spanish again. Kind of helped me. And it was very international in scope because we had like production facilities in China, selling to fifty-five countries, producing in in Valencia. This is where we're based. So there was a lot of travel uh, involved and things like that. And restructuring a company or helping to restructure a company is always, you know, there's this uh, personal, there's this, you know, the strategic aspect of it. And it was, it was really a challenge because probably I was a bit out of my depth by then. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I was, I was trying to get a, an approach that was a bit more human and because you had to fire people and it's never really fun. Um, so after that experience, came back to Lebanon, worked on the development of entrepreneurship. So going back, you know, not being an entrepreneur, but helping other entrepreneurs to develop their, their, their work. Uh, did that for about four years, then started my own company in technology. So CEO again, whatever that means. It was a total failure. Uh, it was really a failure. Uh, Bravo. After, Bravo. after a year, uh, the, the business model was wrong and the strategy was wrong. And yeah. Uh, anyway, so it, you learn from that. Um, then I went on teaching at universities for MBAs and masters and stuff like that for a couple of years. And then I was approached by another company uh, in the field of education to learn to, to help them also kind of bring the company to another path. Uh, it was, they were doing, you know, certification training, like CPAs and CFAs and stuff like that, very serious stuff, uh, with centers all across the world. Uh, and eventually I became their CEO. I stayed with them three years. And that was a very intense because you had to travel a lot, uh, seeing different cultures from all over the place, from North America to Eastern Europe, to, uh, to Europe, to the Middle East a lot. Uh, we had centers in India, so we had to deal also with, with a different cu culture completely. Uh, no clue about it, but you learn. And, and at the end, when I, when I left them, um, the, on, on accord with, with the founder and, and the owner of the company, because we didn't see the same way and 
when you when these kinds of things happen, you just say, okay, it's better to to to, to call it quits because at the end of the day, if there's no alignment in in the way you want to run the business and the way you want to take the business forward, then there's no reason to to hang on at the end of the day. Uh, so I got myself in a position where I've done all these things and eventually I wasn't happy. And I know happiness is a big word, but I wasn't fulfilled. It, it didn't... It, <laughs> sounds cheesy, huh? A little know bit that. there. No, yeah. just, you know, hey, you know, no, no, no. But uh, you're right. I mean, the end of but the But it's, 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 okay. It's a question of, of meaning. Thing is, probably I was getting closer to my 50s. And, and the other thing is that uh, I realized that across the years, I didn't build anything. Uh, and, and from that standpoint, it's not a question of, you know, legacy. And I want to make sure that something lives after me and stuff like those big grandiose things in your mind, but it's really about what are you offering to others? And the switch somehow mentally took me a lot of time. Some people much faster than that, um, is it's, it's not about me. It's about them. It's about the other ones. It's about the people you want to, to, to touch. It's the, the people you want to help. It's about the other ones. And if you think in terms of yourself and what you want to get out of it, first and foremost, then there's something that doesn't really work. And you know that, 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 that pursuit of title and supposedly to be successful, you have to do this, this, and that, is, is, it doesn't make sense. Because you're always pursuing something and there's always going to be something bigger and better. There's always going to be someone richer, smarter, more beautiful, whatever, or, or less than you. But if you're not content with what you have and, and, and what you can offer, then you're never going to feel that quote-unquote happiness or whatever that means. So, so it was, it was, a, it was a, a complicated time, put it this way. And... So at, at that moment, I said, okay, and now what do I do? Uh, and I look back at the you know, 25 years plus of, of my career, and I realized that there's two things that are really enjoyed because you are bringing something to others. The first one is media. Because through media, you have a way to, to, to touch people, to teach them things, to make them learn things, learn from them, but to bring something to the others. And the second one is food and inherently wine as well, because it's the basis of our culture, societies and humanity. Without food, we don't exist. It's, it's everything is related to that. Somehow you have to do that three times a day. And socially and community wise, it's it's the moment and the place where you share something with someone else. And that sharing part is, I think is the most beautiful thing we have. So everybody, you know, what talks about technology and, and all these, you know, AI and all these things. And I, I get it. I understand. Okay. Fair enough. But at the end of the day, this is not what makes us human. What makes us human is our relationship to others. Uh, Zoom is a good thing. <laughs> Because it helps us communicate if you don't have the chance to actually uh, be close to the other one. But at the same time, it doesn't replace being physically present with someone and sharing something with someone. And usually that sharing is, is food, is wine, is drinks, is whatever. In our most beautiful moments in our lives, there was something to drink, potentially to eat. 
that was present and it's part of the context. So putting the two together was what spearheaded you know, the creation of a table for two. And the name is, is actually when you go to a restaurant and you say a table for two, it means that you want to share something whether it's some intimate moments with your beloved one or it's uh, for business or whatever it is, but there's a sharing part that is in, in, inside of that. So sorry, that's a long story. So. No good, fun scoop. <laughs> My first sentence uh, in Spanish was, una mesa para dos, por favor. Una mesa para dos, sí. That's an absolutely true story. Um, so I, I was stubbed or at least... Um, moved by this idea of your need to build something because I, I, was, I was listening to you and I'm imagining you in, in McGill where my son went uh, dealing with poutine and uh, presenting to them <laughs> a much healthier taboule. I'm imagining you creating great events on sports, which are uh, these wonderful experiences. And I was just trying to find the nuance because building something and creating great experiences that don't last because in the end of the day, a meal is a meal. Our lives on this earth are short and therefore have finity. This idea of building something, can you give me a little bit more understanding of what you mean by build? And is it, is it a table for two building a following? What is it that you're looking to build? Okay. So let, let me give you the example of, uh, of the sports uh, era, basically. We, we created, we helped create the creation of, of, a, of a sport presence in, in Lebanon. Uh, it was very successful in snowboarding, uh, per se. And what happened is that it allowed people to discover what the sport was about, love it, and keep it for the rest of their lives, basically. So you, 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 you build, in that sense, you build a, a discovery. You allow people to discover something that, will keep, that they will keep with them. Uh, some of the events we've done uh, 20 years later, uh, there, were, there were people telling me, I remember, I was like five, five years old. And I remember that event and I loved it. You know, there was an artificial snow slope inside in, 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 uh, in, in Beirut. Uh, we had ice skating polar bears and stuff like that. It was just, just crazy. Uh, but Magic. People, re people remembered. They were, they were remembering because it changed something. It, it's just a one memory, but they realized that there's things out there that are just beautiful and you have so much fun about it. And sports is a great way to do that. Now, when we come back to, to a table for two, it's not really a question about following. It's more about, in this case, it's more about awareness. Because when we, when we talk about wine, for instance, or, or food, it's not about the recipes because there's many people doing these things. It's not about, you know, the technical aspect in wine, let's say those tasting notes and things like that, but it's really, really about how important food, wine, et cetera, is in our lives, that's number one, and the implication of food and wine in our lives, meaning um, how is it produced? How does it have an impact on 
you know, uh, the way we live. Uh, health is one thing, but when we really think, you know, about, you know, uh, let's talk about health for a second, you know, fast food, agro-industrial complexes, okay, they've created, because of capitalism, because of, you know, the search for profit, etc., they created monsters at the end of the day that have wreaking havoc on, 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 on basically people's health. All the dietary issues, yeah, all the dietary issues and, 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 and diseases that came out of, of the 20th century, things that they didn't have before. Okay, they were dying of famine, but they were not dying of high cholesterols and diabetes and things like that, the way people are being uh, impacted these days. And what I found strange is that without being alarmist and not saying you have to break down all these companies. It's about, you know, awareness some, uh, as well. It's about saying, okay, there's been so many documentaries, you know, fast food nations and books and stuff like that on that. Uh, but people are just going back to their normal way of life. You know, they, they don't question anymore. What are they eating? What are they drinking? Because they are so busy with other things that somehow it goes around, you know, it just, it doesn't, doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Some people will say, yeah, because it's for economic reasons. But at the end of the day, what you eat has an impact. People talk about climate change, okay? Some of the biggest polluters are coming from the, uh, the oil and cows. gas industry. Oh. And, and you have cows as well, but because of these you know, mega farms, but the oil and gas industry is the, the, the most important one. And oil and gas oil is used in pesticides and, and herbicides. Okay, you have fertilizer, which has a petroleum-based. And all these things, you eat them. So if you want to make sure that you eat healthily without you know, impacting the environment at the same time, you should better know what you're eating. So I know I'm taking this bit to an extreme, but all I'm saying here is that if you want to be connected to our earth and to the other people, you have to be aware. Now, if you decide to change your, your ways of eating and drinking, that's up to you. Nobody's going to force you, and actually nobody can't really force you. Uh, but just be aware of it. So when we talk about building here, it's more about creating that you know, awareness, realizing that the things that make us closer is also something that has an impact not just on us but on on the rest of the world and i'm not trying to proselytize or to say yeah this is the right way of doing things i think everybody's grown up they're you know, kind of grown-ups to decide to so building is more about in this case about awareness it's about approaching you know these topics from a different angle uh that's one culture is another one and this one is even more, I think it's even bigger because we, we've got to a point where everyone is so disconnected. Funnily enough, we've never been so connected. You know, social media, Zoom, and all this, all this technology is all there. But at the end of the day, we're not connected. How often do you really, you know, having a thousand friends is not being connected. You can't, you can't have a meaningful relationship with a thousand people. It doesn't work like that. It, we're not built for that. And, 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 and food is another way to get back to that connection. When you, you travel somewhere, uh, 
definitely food is is an integral part to discover that culture and you you can't just going to say you can't drink coca-cola and say americans are the devil it just doesn't work like that you can't embrace one part of the culture and reject the other one it, you have to you have to it's 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 a whole understanding of it no one's perfect yeah yeah and that that's true but you you have to embrace the way it is you can you can say i, I don't agree but you cannot just reject it while at the same time taking it. And, and one of the great inspiration for, for, for food and that culture uh, bridge is Anthony Bourdain. And his shows were, were definitely eye-openers. I think many people have this, knew that you know, food was, what, was that, you know, that great connector when you traveled, but it, was really, it really put it in front of, 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 of the world. And if we can have a better understanding, if I eat your food, I can't say I don't like you. I, I can't say I reject you. Uh, you cannot accept food from, from another culture and rejecting that culture at the same time. So by starting to open your eyes and getting closer to the other ones, you actually are, are, are getting closer. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. And, so I want, and, to, um, I want to bring to you uh, a, a friend of mine who's a journalist, also on similar road uh, or a similar journey somehow for me, who's lived in, living in, in New York. And he was a great friend of Anthony Bourdain's. And he started a program called Roads and Kingdoms. And I'm going to ask you to check that out afterwards because it's all about food around the world. And Nathan is a wonderful friend. So hat tip to Nathan. I want to get to really the fact that you are living in Beirut, Antoine. Because what I'm hearing is in this latest iteration of you and the, the, the latest journey is this need to build something that's probably more meaningful for a kid who basically was brought up through the civil war, but I mean, living in France, but obviously keenly aware of the civil war and then living through what you're living today in Lebanon, it, it seems that anything else would be trite. And yet the Lebanese are, are rather well known for hooping it up and carpe diem. And I'm just wondering to what extent these experiences, the Civil War and the tragic or the you know, massively difficult situation in Lebanon is structuring your need to do what you're doing today. Okay, so the, the first part, the, uh, I had the chance uh, to, to not live the Civil War. Uh, my, my parents decided to leave Lebanon, as I said, 75 before it, it we, we, there were skirmishes and I think like that, but I, 
I, you I didn't don't live really... it, but you obviously your parents would have been waking well, up. Well, I was I was I knew what was happening because my father as a journalist, as chief editor of Radio Monte Carlo, which was like the, the, the leading radio station for the Middle East at the time, and there was the place from which all the news was coming from, basically. Um, I I was aware of what was happening, but I you know, being aware of something and living through it is totally different. And, 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 the, and the people there, the people that went through the war had, had such horrible, but at the same time, very invigorating experiences from what they've told me. What I can say is after the end of the civil war, there was such an energy for people to turn the page and really try to go forward. Something that we don't have any more now. Uh, what is happening now to the country? And again, here I'm, 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 I'm grateful. I have a roof on my head. I have food to eat. Um, I'm able to communicate. Um, there are people which are in a dire situation because of the economic crisis. Uh, that is, uh, I think the IMF was saying uh, there was the worst one since 1850. Uh, the collapse of the um, the government and the state institutions to fail state at the end of the day. Uh, the, the COVID issues, and people don't really think too much about COVID these days. I think they have other problems to, to deal with. Now, as do a lot of other people in the rest of the world, by the way. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's definitely the, the, I think the compound effect that we have here, I'm trying to, it forces you somehow to try to find solutions with whatever means you have. And I think that's 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 probably the the key thing about this. And the the reason of building, I thought about a table for two before the Thaura, the the uh, the revolution of 2019, uh, 17th of October 2019. It just uh, yesterday was the two year anniversary, and and I remember that day. I I I went out for a drink and uh, on. Uh, we heard a lot of things and, and basically at going left at the, uh, the, the place, the restaurant around one o'clock and there were tire building, you know, tires being burned on the streets and had to go from places to others to try to you know, get back home. Um, and but the idea of a table for two was, was, was there before that. I knew there was the country was going through very a lot of difficulties financially already. Uh, the economic crisis was just looming, and and then and then I when it started, I just wanted to do my shows. I wanted to do things with you no know, an audience basically. So I had to wait for the Thaura to kind of you know become a bit less intense, uh, and uh, and and did a couple of live uh event with winemakers actually they, they, my first guests were 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 uh, winemakers women winemakers in lebanon and then everything had to move online and all through that period i never really thought about oh yes because i'm in lebanon and i need to do something it was just okay this is the place where i am there are better places there are worse places uh and and at the end of the day i just have to make the best that i can with what i have and you realize that, A, it's, it's a question of mentality somehow. Because some people will say, yeah, we're doomed and everything. But at the end of the day, it, I have the chance to have internet access. So 
I, I can do whatever. Maybe it's not going to be the most professional thing that is going to come out, but at the end of the day, it's what, what you're delivering. And that was a, the thought process. So being in Lebanon is, is probably the only reason why it, it was a help in a sense is that you're here, you got to do something. And the way I, I wanted the work to be was to be international right from the start. I didn't want to be uh, the Lebanese uh, show or whatever on Lebanese wine, etc. Then I come back to the other shows that I've done, but uh, and and to the wine hour, because in Europe, in the Western world in general, people like to pigeonhole you, and and label. I yeah, and they want to label you, and they want to, and I didn't want to have that label as ethnic, you know, Middle Eastern, etc. I have nothing against them. Proud of this, but at the same time. If you want to have the maximum reach and try to, you know, build those bridges, you, you have to have an international scope, and, including uh, languages. Including languages. That's why it's done in English. It's, it's not in French. It's not in Arabic. Uh, it's in English because whether we like it or not, it's it is the international language. It's the one with the biggest reach. Okay, maybe not there. More Chinese speaking, uh, but. You know, you, you get my sense. It's the, certainly got the widest reach. Yes. No doubt about that. And plus yeah. the internet basically is English. So, so, so it, it was really about uh, learning as well. And I think COVID for that, I think COVID was, was more of an issue than actually being in Lebanon. Because COVID put us in a, in a, in a place where you can't see people, you are sheltered. Some people took it as you know very depressing times, uh, but at the same time, it, it was it was really a period of creativity because you had to find ways, and the internet is very interesting for that. Now, when it comes to the outreach, is something else. But um, it's it's I think it was a very interesting period, and the things that I've done at the beginning, uh, the first show, which was one on one, uh, which was long form interviews, which people don't really listen to. Anyway, except if you're super well known and things like hey, that. Hey, you know, it's complicated. People, it is, of course. But if you have people that are interesting, that have interesting stories to tell, and, and the emphasis there is on stories, and it and people feel the need, and the audio version is is very intimate. And hey, it doesn't matter if you have a large audience or not. It depends what success is for you, right? Yeah, no, and, and, and this is something that I realized. The first iterations of the shows that I had were Zoom-based and were video-based. And watching two guys talking on Zoom is not super interesting. And what I, what I, what I, it took me a bit of time. The second iteration was something uh, that I called the food journey, was much shorter, like seven, five to 10 minutes long uh, with some images and with chefs and much cultural, much more cultural approach. And I realized people were watching a bit more of those kind of things. And then the wine hour is a radio show because ultimately online is, the video part is kind of fun, but if you want to do video, do it properly, like a documentary with real cameras and stuff like that, because it, it brings something to the table. If you want to do something online, audio is much better because that's the medium. And audio is easier to consume as well afterwards. And you can do it on the go and you don't need to be sitting down and watching. And, 
And so, so you learn these things. Yeah. And, and COVID somehow helped that because if there was no COVID, you would be forced somehow to try to run and try to really catch up on everything and you know, be in that, in that you know, mental race. COVID, you were blocked at home. And you know that it's going to take a lot of time. <laughs> so you can experiment. You can, you can try things. And, and, and that was the, uh, the flip side of the horrible thing that happened with COVID and the human impact it has. Uh, but so, yeah, Lebanon is, is an issue. It's complicated. It's difficult. But it's, I think it's more about the mindset. When you lose everything at the end of the day, All you have is 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 your is is what's in your mind, the way you approach things, uh, and that's about it. At the end of the day, it's I I don't know. Uh, it's I don't know if it's experience. I don't know if it's those failures, the wrong path, everything. It's it's just that you have you have what you have. You work with it. You develop it, and then what happens next? You know how people you know listen to you if they listen to you or not if you have five people or a thousand it doesn't really matter you've done what you had to do now if people are accepting what you're offering fine if not probably you're doing something wrong or you're talking to the wrong crowd so but it's not personal at the end of the day it depends what you're trying to do it's like a message in a bottle you're creating something and hopefully it'll do something for others, make it meaningful for them. When you when you do, whether it's Table for Two or your Wine Hour podcast, who are you most interested in reaching out to? What, it, what it, would you characterize the people you want to touch? The, the, the Wine Hour is really about, it's about wine lovers that are not experts. Because wine is, is, is really a social, it's a fun and enjoyable drink. Um, I, you know, wine tastings and scorings, and, uh, tasting notes and all these things, I think they have their place. But, you know, like Eric Asimov, uh, the chief wine critic of the New York Times was saying, he was on the show uh, number eight, uh, fantastic show. Uh, he, he said, you need to remystify wine. You need to find a way to, to bring that mystery to it because everything is a question of context. Uh, and, and, and people, whether they, you know, if you like a wine, great, if you don't like it, you know, at least, you know, so the, the target is, are really people that, you know, are, are enjoying wine. Um, we say we're trying to remove wine anxiety because at the end of the day, when you go into discussion about wine, you know, you're in social gathering and someone comes up and says, this has, uh, taste of uh, cranberry uh, potentially black cherries with a bit of tobacco and uh, moss and the guy's like what the hell is he talking about and and he's like what am i supposed to say now <laughs> am i supposed to say uh, <laughs> you're completely i disagree out of i think it's got chocolate <laughs> and it's got tar in it. it's like I, I didn't smell i didn't taste or smell any of, of these things and 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 once you get to that place okay it's like I give up. Okay, you know what? Wine, you know, 
screw it because at the end of the day, sorry, I'm just done. Anyway, yeah, well, uh, hey, listen, and you're in the UK, I, there's no beeping, it's good, no, no, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, so, when, it's, when you talk to someone like Nicole and Pauline Vicar, Nicole Rollet, they're, they're very much in this idea of, of bringing wine out again and, and allowing because we know how, especially, let's say, the old world vineyards have had a trouble, I would call it a certain arrogance with regard to these new wines and the new culture and the desires of new generations, whether they're Chinese or, or black, uh, black, you know, um, singers, rappers, there's, there's so many different ways to appreciate and have fun. And, and so what I appreciated about Nicole and, and Pauline, what they're trying to do is, is um, give, re-give a luster to a higher quality of wine make it accessible without having to be a complete utter snob to have a good wine yeah the the thing about um wine in context has been very white and very affluent for a very, for a long time and and now you have new demographics that are going into wine for different reasons now you have wines in cans and stuff like that probably to attract this kind of demographics but i think wine is a is is an excuse for a conversation because we were talking about stories before. And I think when people start to discover the reasons why people are into winemaking, it's not an easy business. Most of the time they're losing money. So they go into that because it's because there's a certain passion, there's a certain love, there's a certain connection to the environment, to nature, and things like that. So when you start putting the conversation on these issues and the reasons why these people have went have gone into it. Then you'll decide afterwards if you like their wines or not. But at least you would be attracted somehow to try. And instead of going through the technical aspect, I would prefer to go to the story aspect, to the cultural aspect, to the environment aspect, to the personal aspect. Talk about that. And then you make up your mind if you want to try this or not. Because I think it, it could be much more appealing and it's much more inclusive. Well, I, I hear you. And pushing back a second, I personally, when I go into a, a wine merchant and I'm looking for wine for dinner, I'm thinking about type of wine, what the accord with what I'm eating. And then I, I see some wines with wine labels that are obviously more about storytelling than the Chateau de Je ne sais quoi and 1980 to blah, blah, blah. Uh, when you have names of wines and labels that look like uh, scary, scary movies or other, you know, criminal stories. These are clearly story in in wanting to bring out stories. But I, I couldn't get myself. So tell me, I have a problem. You no, you don't. <laughs> you don't have a problem. Of course not. <laughs> no, I think the problem. Okay, I think there's two issues there. The first one is that the there's so many wineries out there. There's so many. Now. There's a, how do you choose? Now, if you do the same label, because the first thing that if you go into a, a caviste or a wine merchant, the first thing you're going to be looking at are the labels, basically, you know, according to the type of wine you want to look at. And the price. And, and, and price and, and you know, they are the, the points that you're looking at first. Now, these guys probably say, you know what, I want to be different because I feel I'm going to be another Chateau X uh, type of, you know, uh, uh, label. They're not going to see me. Now, if I, if I can stir up some kind of emotions, whether it's hatred or love, at least I've done something. 
And if you, if you hated it, then this wine is maybe not for you, but somebody else probably would love it and say, oh, this is great. And it's for them. So marketing wise, somehow it's a way of positioning. The, the other thing is you got to try things. And, and sometimes, and in this case, this is where the wine, work, the wine merchant is kind of a very important person because if you know they have that trust relationship, they can tell you, oh, you know, the label sucks, but the wine is great. Okay, you're going to believe the guy. I'm going to try it. Yeah. And, and so potentially you like it or not. And so you have to experience at, at the end of the day. So um, we, we're caught up in, in a... Yes, people are trying to bring their stories forward and try to sell because it's a business at the end of the day. Uh, There's so many wines out there that how do you make yourself distinguishable from the other ones? And, and this is very complicated. Well, sure. And this is that. where we want to play a role as well. And because I think media has a role to play. And, and till now, the way we've been you know, promoting wine was mostly towards elitist, knowledgeable, yeah. technically savvy wine connoisseur. The majority of people are not. So if you can talk to them about wine and wines in particular, in a different way, you know, make it more inclusive and in, 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 in outreaching, then potentially you would have done something also good because, you know, you help people discover something that they were not aware of. And I, I think that's one of the role of, of, of media in general uh, is, is to, to bring that awareness to people. Antoine, um, lovely. I feel like I've, I knew I have a new mission. I go to my <laughs> vintner to check out uh, some uh, rather random label, uh, certainly one that I usually would feel, uh-oh, I'm not going to bring that to a dinner, you know, when you're invited, um, and we'll see what goes on. I'm looking forward to that experience. Antoine, how can people check out what you're up to, sign up for your podcasts, uh, help you in any way, or do anything? Okay, so so we have, uh, we're available on, on, so the podcast, The Wine Hour, is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the, all the major uh, podcast providers. Uh, on the website, uh, tablefor2.co, there's the link to all different shows that we've done and different podcast sites, etc. So it's, uh, we're on Instagram, uh, atablefor2.live, um, same thing with Facebook, uh, table for two dot live, uh, LinkedIn. So, so we, we have a social media presence. Uh, we have a podcast presence. Uh, there's also things on YouTube. Uh, so we're a bit, we're a bit everywhere, but more recently, the focus has really been on the wine hour because there's a, the format of the show is, is really, is really great. And, and here I really have to talk about the wine dream team because <laughs> they're making the show somehow. It's, 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 it's amazing. I, I've been blessed to have these guys on board and, and, and it wouldn't work with, without them. Uh, so again, wh when you're building something, you can build things on your own. You have to be a group of people that believe in something and that want to work towards that. And, and, and in the wine hour, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm hosting, but without the wine dream team, I couldn't do it. So there, Jamie Orajo. So she's a, a second generation winemaker from Napa Valley. 
she's an insider. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know it's perfect. My, yeah, I know her from my inside days. And uh, she's uh, she has a winery called Trois Noirs, which is also working a lot towards you know inclusion and diversity in, in Napa. Um, there is uh, Akos Fortzek, another insider, <laughs> who's a fine wine merchant in London. Uh, so super knowledgeable. They've been voted uh, four times in a row best fine wine merchant by UK Sommelier. Uh, so this company is top, top selection wine. Top, top selection, selection wine. And then Tanisha Townsend, an African-American based in Paris. She's our wine encyclopedia, basically. And uh, she, 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 has a, she has a podcast, uh, girl, uh, Wine School Dropout. Uh, she's got Girls uh, Meets Wine. And uh, she's a fantastic person. And then we are lucky to have an honorary member. He joins us whenever he has time. Uh, he's the senior editor, uh, the wine editor of uh, Food and Wine magazine in the US, Ray Isle. And uh, blessed, as I said, blessed to have these guys on board because the show is in three segments. There's a lot of dynamics. There's a lot of things happening. It's not just one guy talking to another one for a long, for a long time. It, it, it really has that, you know, that talk show. It, it is it, a talk show yeah. per se. I saw that. And in, and in one show, I was totally surprised. One of your uh, dream team didn't even have a glass of wine. They were, she was, she drank a glass of water. Yes. So, so I have to explain for that. Jamie okay. very often, uh, we do this at 8.30 uh, in the evening UK of time. Course, right. And it's 12.30 in Napa. And, yeah. and usually at 12.30, she's not drinking so jamie oh, is hydrating good. But, good for her help but there's, there's okay i have to mention something you can drink anything you want tea coffee shy wine uh whiskey anything anything is good okay as long as you enjoy the company i think that's the most important and we always mention at the end drink in moderation which is always very, very important so antoine uh, um i would encourage anybody who's listening and has stayed this long through our conversation and uh, interested in wine, conversation, meaningful discussion, and uh, connecting the world to check out what you're up to, Table for Two, the Wine Hour podcast, and of course, your dream team. Uh, Antoine, merci. Thank you. Thank you. Thank on. you, Minter. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show, would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash interdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on interdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. So
anticipating the thrill of your intellect Maybe I tell myself there's no use in me lying I'm a convinced man building an urge I'm a convinced man to live and die submerged A convinced man in the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man, challenge my fate I'm a convinced man, competition's innate A convinced man, in the arms of a woman Despise revenges and struggle with deceit Live for the challenge so life's not incomplete What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die I like the feel of a stranger Tucked around me Precipitating the danger To feel free Trust in my reason And let me show you why I'm a convinced man Practicing my lines I'm a convinced man Finds a convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man, bit to the test. I'm a convinced man. I'm ready for an arrest. I'm a convinced man in the arms of a woman.
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.